Good morning. Um, you have an announcement that says we're finally going to have our home Bible study starting on January the 10th, uh, for sure at 7 p.m., but if there's more interest, we'll even have one in the daytime for those that don't want to travel at night. But the reality is uh, we have said all along when we get our house, when I wrote this article last Monday for the newsletter, we were hoping to move. As of Friday, the house is ready. Final inspections, all this stuff this week, and we're going to be moving. Now, we're going to use this book. Uh, it's, it's in the bulletin, so I'm not going to repeat it. I'm going to be back here with Susie in the in Providence Hall after worship. You've got questions. Is this something for you? Uh, what's going to be covered, etc.? Come get your questions answered and sign up. Uh, so we know and get your book, okay? Uh, that, that whole process uh, can happen very quickly, so I'm hoping to make it Sunday school too, so come on. <laughs> I want to close with a poem, a poem that Susie wrote uh, a few weeks ago after Patrick started preaching on the Holy Spirit and the conversations we were having around the table. <clears throat> and it's entitled, I Need You, Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit to lead me to Jesus Christ, for only in him alone will I have eternal life. I need your Holy Spirit in my life every day, for without your steadfast guidance, I'll never find my way. I need your Holy Spirit when I know how to pray, when I don't know how to pray, when the words just won't come, you know the right words to say. I need your Holy Spirit as I read God's word to me, you help me to understand. You open my eyes to see. I need your Holy Spirit to fight against Satan's attacks. I cannot face him without you. You are my strength when I lack. I need your Holy Spirit to discipline me when I sin. For only through forgiveness can I find peace again. I need your Holy Spirit to help me focus on, stay focused on God. To help me on the path for the straight and narrow I trod. I need you triune God. Father, Holy Spirit, and Son, because you give me new life as the perfect three-in-one. Thank you so much, Pat and Susie, for both the work that y'all are putting into this, but also your willingness to host this and lead this. So we are so grateful, and I do encourage you all to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, there are other things going on in your bulletin. As I've said many times, be aware of the happenings, okay? but I will leave you to find the rest. Let's prepare our hearts now for worship as Donna leads us in the prelude. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 57, and it says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. 
Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall sin from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My friends, while we focus on the many aspects of Christmas, certainly this is one that must not escape us, that in Jesus alone we have salvation. In Jesus alone we have mercy. For as we saw last week, it was at Christmas that God's love for mankind appeared. We have so many reasons to gather here and worship, but certainly in light of these things, let us come and worship him in spirit and in truth. Please stand with me now and take your hymnals and turn to number one. be seated. Let's now go to our Lord in prayer, after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed together. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that you have blessed us so much, that you have called us to this place, that you have given us this time, this opportunity to turn from the busyness of the world, to to take our eyes away from all the different happenings and instead to train our vision and our focus on you. We are so grateful that you brought us here. All of us facing different circumstances, having different emotions, different challenges, different things on our minds. You have brought us here. And you brought us here to worship you. You brought us here so that we might focus on you. So that we would experience your love and your grace and your mercy and Father, This is what we long for, and yet 
Without your Holy Spirit, it's impossible. We need your guidance. We need your, our advocate. We need the counselor to come and guide us in this time so that our spirit, our, our worship would be in spirit and in truth so that this time would be glorifying to you and that your name would be honored. And again, as a result, that we would be blessed. So please guide us now in this time. Give us worshipful thoughts and worshipful hearts as we focus on you. And we pray it all in Christ's name. And we pray also as Christ taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And it's because we believe all of these things that we ought to rejoice indeed. So please now stand with me and you can take your hymn books if you like and turn to number 165 as we sing Good Christian Men Rejoice, yet this applies to men, women, children, all of us. Number 165, stand with me together.
and you may be seated except for children, come on down. Where's my children? All righty. There they are. Do we have enough room? Let's see. I don't know. If we scooch in, I think that we will. Where is Gabe going to sit? Sorry, Gabe, you don't get to sit with your sister this morning. She's been playing. Well, good morning, everybody. That was a nice good morning. It's good to see you all today. Hope that everybody has had a great week. Have you? I see that somebody's brought an elf with them this morning. That's good. All right. Now, we are one week closer to Christmas this week, aren't we? Yeah, I'm getting very excited. Are you guys getting excited? Yeah, I am too. You know what I saw? I don't know if it's going to happen, but I saw that it might even snow this week. I know, right? Maybe not everybody's excited about that as you and I are, Olivia, but I'm pretty excited about it. Now, here's the thing. It's Christmas time. Maybe y'all remember from last week, but we're lighting a different candle. One of y'all just noticed it. We are lighting a different candle every week, and they represent different parts of Christmas. The first week, we lit the candle that represents hope. And hope is what we talked about last week, right? We talked about how hope doesn't mean just wishing that something might happen. Instead, the Bible talks about hope as if we are planning for something, right? Hope means faith and trust. And Christmas is all about hope because Christmas shows us that God always keeps his word. Many, 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 many hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophets were, were, were prophesying about the fact that God would send his one and only son. He'd send the Messiah, and God did. And so we remember the hope of Christmas, and we also remember that we can trust in him. But this week, I want to talk about the candle that we lit last week. Now, it's one of the purple ones, too. It's the second one back there. And it represents love. Now, love is important, right? Especially at Christmas. We, we talk about loving our friends and family. We love getting together with them. Does anybody love? We do. That's the most important thing. You're ahead of me, Charlie. Have you been looking at my notes? No. No, okay, good. Yes, we love lots of things, but what we should love the most is Jesus, right? Because Christmas is all about love because Christmas points to God's love for us. Now, we've talked about John 3.16 before, right? Does anybody remember what that one is? Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? But here's the thing. That's what we know, right? We know John 3.16. But did you know something else important about love? Listen to this. This is from 1 John. Not John, but 1 John 4.19. It says that we love because God first loved us. I'll say that again. 1 John 4.19 says we love because God first loved us. What this means is that not only do we see God's love through him sending Jesus at Christmas, it's because Jesus came that we can love one another at all. The only reason we can love is because of God. And here's the thing. Not only can we love because God sent Jesus, we should love because God sent Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us lots of important things to do, right? But Jesus was asked how to sum up the law, and Jesus said, Love God 
and love one another as yourself. Guys, there are many wonderful things to celebrate at Christmas. Certainly, we hope that in God, we put our trust in God, but we can never forget how Christmas points us all to how much God loved us and also to how we ought to love each other. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for these children. I pray that you would help them and that you would help us love each other. That we would remember your love that's so clearly on display at Christmas. The candle burning represents it, but even more importantly, your son dying on the cross for us represents it. So help us to remember your love and in turn, help us to love you and love one another. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. Alrighty, as they are going, let's now go into a time of, of silent prayer, considering what the Lord has done. Take this opportunity to dwell on God's goodness, on his love, and his mercy, and on our hope in him. So let's go to him in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, what a wonder it is that you have blessed us so. What a glorious thing it is that you have loved us so. What a powerful thing it is that we can place our hope in you and will never be disappointed. And yet the root of all of these is your love for us. Your love that is manifest in your Son and our Savior taking on flesh, making his dwelling among us, yes, but living the perfect life. Fulfilling all the prophecy, all the requirements of the law that we wouldn't and couldn't fulfill. And then dying to serve as our substitute, to pay for our sin. These, these things are too wonderful to encapsulate into words. They're, they're too glorious to express. And yet again, we say thank you. Thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you for the hope of Jesus Christ. And Father, in light of these things, as I've just said to the children, let us be mindful of your love and our privilege of loving you and loving one another. As we continue in this season, this time that practically drips with nostalgia, this time that is bright and shining, we realize that many times life is anything but that which is bright and shining. We realize that there are challenges to be faced. There are hurts that might be old hurts that kick up again and hurt all anew. There might be new challenges that are faced. In all of these things, we need you. We need your perspective we need guidance by your Holy Spirit. We need empowerment so that we can not only face the challenges that we have from the, the cause and effect of life, 
but also that we can stand against the evil one. For it is in times like these that he attacks. It is in times like he's, uh, these that he reminds us, that, 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 that he points out our sin. We praise you, Father, that in you we are forgiven. In you we have newness of life. In you we have purpose and peace. And yet, Father, as we face these challenges, we pray that these would come shining through. We think of those who are challenged physically right now, that are awaiting surgeries, that have had surgeries, that are dealing with very difficult medical issues. Some of them, the doctors know how to treat, and some of them, they don't. So we pray that you would give grace and peace and, again, your presence. And yet, we know that this life is not just encapsulated by the physical. Instead, we face spiritual troubles. We face emotional difficulties. And, and Father, we need you. Again, we need you so desperately. Work in our hearts and in our minds that we would have the mind of Christ. Work in our hearts that we would pursue you, that we would seek your face, and that we would find hope in you alone. If we need encouragement, please give it. If it's correction, in your mercy, please bring it. But if it's just a special measure of grace, a reminder of who you are, please offer it by your spirit. And we ask this not only for our sake, but for the sake of your kingdom as we complete this mission that you've put us on, as we go about the task of reflecting the light of Jesus Christ as, as being lights in the world. Father, let others see you in us. As we think about the hope of Christmas, the love of Christmas, let these qualities be exhibited in your people both here and abroad, in your church universal, so that the world that is groping in darkness would see the light and come to know Jesus Christ. Oh, the evil one plans against this. The evil one does everything he can to thwart your work, and yet your son's promise is sure that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And yet, Father, this does not mean there won't be a fight. So please, let us be ready for battle, putting on the full armor of God and not forgetting to pray and to seek your face and to trust. In so doing, Father, again, let us be lights in the world and let many come to know you. Now, Father, as we come to this portion of the service where our ushers come and collect tithes and offerings, we pray your blessings on these. The task that you have given us is quite large, and yet you provide in every way, so help us to know how to use the funds that you provide. We ask that you would bless the gift and that you would bless the giver, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now ask our ushers to come forward.
Thank you very much, choir. I wonder, do you take the time, this is a fitting reminder, do you take the time to dwell on the wonders of God's love? There's so many different aspects we can think of. Certainly, as it's Christmas time, we consider the wonders of his love that God the Son took on flesh. But why? He came to die for his people. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It, again, this is too wonderful to even begin to fathom, but it is such a blessing. So, thank you very much, choir. Well, as we are gathered here in light of these things, let me once again say... Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope that your season has been merry and bright thus far and that you have enjoyed our times of worship as we make our way through the Advent season together. Now, I'm sure that you have noticed, but as we've been celebrating Advent, the, the incarnation of our Lord, our focus each Sunday has been on what the different candles burning before you represent and what the implications are for our lives. But in doing so, here's the thing, as it relates to where we've been in God's word so far, we've kind of been looking at things from an overhead view, right? Focusing on the hope of Christmas. But that's in Isaiah 9, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, pointing to what Christmas meant. But, but it's an overhead kind of view thing, right? That great prophecy would be given for the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace, as we saw in Isaiah 9. But it pointed forward to these things. Even so, that first candle burns representing the hope of Christmas. That was week one. Week two, last week, we focused on the love of Christmas. And the fact that it was at Christmas that according to Titus 3, God's love for mankind appeared. And so therefore, as I said to the children, not only should we love God, we should love one another. That's what that second Advent candle burning before you represents. The love of Christmas, but that's Paul writing to Titus, looking back at Christmas. But this week, instead of focusing on Bible passages that point to Christmas, we're actually going to focus on the Christmas story itself. Now, I use the term story because it is, but it's important to remember that the Christmas story is not a work of fiction. It's not apocryphal. It's a real life story. What we read in God's word is trustworthy. And because it's real, because it's true, it has many implications for you and me today. So much so that our focus today is on the effect of Christmas, as it says in your bulletin. We're, we're focusing on what effect Christmas should have on you. What should it affect? Or what should effect should it have on you, right? And the passage that we'll see the answer to this today is the Christmas story itself. And we find that. In Luke chapter 2. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me there. Luke chapter 2. Now I got to tell you, if you're using your modern Bibles, that may be a problem because I'm reading from the King James Version today. Why? Because that's just the way it ought to be when you read Luke chapter 2. Okay? The translate King James is actually in the Pew Bible if you want to use that one. And the words are going to be on the screen. Don't worry, it's not hard to understand. We will get through it fine. But this really is one of those passages whose wording is just so well translated in the King James Version. And if you'll indulge me, I can't help it. It's also the version uh, that my father read from every year on Christmas Eve. So it holds a special place in my heart, and I'm sure it does in yours as well. Now, you should be in Luke chapter 2 already, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. But before we read anything, let's pray. 
because we need help. Our God and our Father, please be with us now. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Take these words which are on a page or a screen. And and, and Father, help us to realize they're more than just words. This account that we're reading is more than just a story about what took place some 2,000 years ago. These are the words of life. This time that we're entering into is not about just reading comprehension and whether we gather what's presented academically speaking. No, this isn't an academic time. It's a spiritual time. And so we need spiritual help. As we consider the light of Jesus Christ, let the light of your spirit blaze forth so that we would understand your word, so that we would see how it applies to us. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, or one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that they had and all that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, there you have it. We have just read the Christmas story. And in light of what we just read, which again is commonly known as the Christmas story, we come to the question, what ought this to do in us? We've read it. What what should this produce in you? How are we to respond to this? 
Well, to find the answer to this, we have to consider what actually happened that first Christmas. And it isn't a complicated story, is it? I mean, if we take the things as they are that we've just read about Jesus, we read about how God the Son took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We read about him being born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, but they started out in Nazareth. And I love the phraseology here. She was great with child, right? And all of this came to pass. Verses 1 through 7 that we just read detail the Christmas story. But remember what we're asking here. What effect should Christmas have on you? Now, it's because this is our focus today that we're not going to dwell on the Jesus and Mary and Joseph side of, of the Christmas story at this point. I know that may be shocking, and it's not that the, the, the theology and the implications and all these amazing things don't matter. It's just that we have a focus today that we need to maintain. We are going to focus on those aspects of Christmas over the next couple of weeks. But in order to answer this question, what effect should Christmas have on you we need to shift our perspective away from the account of the first Christmas story there and actually go to where something incredibly curious takes place right after the second part of our passage here. And that term curious is being gen generous, right? Something entirely unexpected took place after Jesus was born and laid in the manger. Something that you could even call scandalous takes place. Now, why? Why is what I'm describing curious, uh, unexpected, scandalous? Well, if you were to start reading in Luke chapter 1, and if you take everything that's gone on up until we get to our passage today, you see amazing things, right? John the Baptist, Jesus' birth was prophesied. An angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's found favor in God's eyes. You hear Mary's song of praise. John the Baptist uh, is converted in the womb. You find Zachariah's song of praise. It's all so wonderful and, and powerful stuff. And it involves people that feared the Lord. People that had a desire that the Lord's will would be done. That's what you find leading up to Jesus being born and lying in the manger in Luke and in Matthew and elsewhere, right? But what do we find in the second part of our passage today after we leave the manger? Well, look at verse 8. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then you carry on through and you hear the story of all the things that happened with those shepherds, how the heavenly host appeared, and these incredible things. Now, you might be wondering, okay, why is this curious? Why is it unexpected? Why is it scandalous? Well, for this reason. Up until Jesus being laid in the manger, you hear all about the righteous people who are awaiting the Messiah, the ones that are looking, the ones that are watching. Again, people like Zechariah that uttered these prophecies. Mary who was greeted by the angel. But what do you find starting in verse 8? You find shepherds. That's who. Now I've preached on this concept before. <clears throat> Somebody said, hey, you're using the same passages that you used in the past for Christmas. I'm not going to tell you who said it. But when Glenn said it to me, I said to him, well, Glenn, I don't know about your Bible, but mine only has a few for Christmas, right? And, and it's true, you can take any passage, you can make it about Christmas, but that, 
we want to be faithful to what the passages actually say, and, and that's called eisegesis, not exegesis. That's for a different sermon altogether. But y'all, even though the same passages, it's new sermons, but I've preached about the shepherds and their reputation before. So perhaps you remember how I described first century Palestinian shepherds, right? They were kind of a combination of, of, of part criminal, part blue collar. They, they were swarthy. They were given to superstition. Um, if you were there, as we read in our text already, after seeing the Christ child, they went all around. They went abroad and they told everybody. If you were there in Bethlehem and you saw shepherds coming through those crowded streets, you'd probably first think, I don't know if they had wallets like we do, but you'd say, where is my wallet? Or you'd say, I need to make sure my doors are locked. Or you'd probably first say, what are they doing here? Shepherds? This is a decent town. Why are they here? And that's because shepherds in the first century had the reputation, first and foremost, of dishonest men. They were seen as thieves and ruffians. They, they were too dangerous to be around because they would probably rob you or might even kill you. And they had gained that reputation honestly. But that was just part of their reputation because, you see, as they lived in the fields with the livestock, apart from people, they just didn't act right. And no, this is not a commentary on some of our shepherds, Pat, so don't take it personally. And if Johnny were here, I'd say the same thing with him. But really, when you look at, thank you, when you look at how shepherding existed in the first century, these men were not civilized. They were a product of the wilds. They were notorious for being gamblers, for even swindling people, right? So much so that in the first century and later, shepherds were not even allowed to offer testimony in a court of law. Did you know that? Their reputation was such that they would not even be counted as a valid witness. It doesn't matter if they saw something or if it didn't. They were seen as the outcast. They were superstitious. They practiced divination and other odd things. So if you put this stuff together, they didn't look right, they didn't act right, they certainly didn't smell right. And so for these second-class citizens, who are really more like fourth- or fifth-class citizens, to receive this message from the angels, for them to see the heavenly host, it just has a wrongness about it. It's scandalous. One can even say, it's unfair. Just listen to what they told them. It says, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for unto you, speaking to those shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign to you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Paul's right there. Goodness, y'all, just think about it. This is the greatest news that there could possibly ever be, right? That not just a Savior had arrived, but their Savior and simultaneously the Savior above all others. And not only has he been born, he's there to save them, he's there to save all those who would belong to him, and they even were told how to find him. This is unthinkable, y'all shepherds, tasked with being mankind's ambassadors to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the prophesied Messiah that would not only save Israel, but would be a blessing to the whole world. This is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And shepherds found out about this first, 
and they would be the ones to greet him? And y'all, it's not just that. Not only did they get the best news ever first, they got the best delivery ever. Verse 13, again it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Do you know what this means? These shepherds, these men who couldn't even testify in a court of law, these shepherds got to see a gigantic slice of heaven itself. My goodness, they got to see a piece of the glory that our eyes should long to behold, a bit of the glory that the whole of creation yearns for, and they saw it. Y'all, the thing we can't even begin to comprehend. I talked about it last week. Glory too wonderful for us to grasp. But colors that our eyes can't see, sounds our ears can't hear. The glories of heaven is what they got to see. Do you realize those shepherds got to see that night what we pray for every single week? What we just prayed for a few minutes ago. Didn't we just pray, thy kingdom come? On earth as it is in heaven. That's what they saw. It's simply amazing. But, but we can't forget today's focus. Remember the question that we're asking is. What effect should Christmas have on you? What should Christmas produce in you? In us? How should we respond to Christmas? Well. How did they respond to this? Those shepherds. To answer the question of how we should respond. We need to look no further than how they did. And in a word, they responded with joy. Joy. Oh, their joy was just so immense. They were so grateful that immediately they wanted to know more about this Savior. So they said in verse 15, Be, let, let us now go unto, unto Bethlehem and, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And then it says that they made haste. They left their flocks. And y'all, shepherds didn't do that. Their flocks were considered far more valuable than they were, these fourth, fifth class citizens. But they left them with reckless abandonment because they had to know. They had to see this Savior. And in verse 16 we see that because they didn't take the time uh, to gather their flocks or, or elect who would stay or go. But instead, because they left right then and there, they found Him. And their joy was so immense. That after greeting our Lord, the shepherds didn't stop there. It wasn't enough for them to just see the Savior. It wasn't enough for them to just know about the Savior. No. Because they had been transformed. Look at verse 17 and following. It says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Y'all, what this comes down to is their joy resulted not just in making them able to tell other people. Their joy was so immense they had to tell other people. They had to tell everyone what had been told to them. They, they had to say, look, this is what I've seen. This is what I know. But even then they didn't stop. As we read in verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. 
Their joy prompted them not only to leave their flocks behind so that they could see the Lord. Their joy prompted them not only to tell others about the good news of Jesus. Their joy prompted them to return home as changed people. Glorifying and praising God. And why? It all goes back to verse 17. When they had seen him. They had seen the Lord. They knew the Messiah. Now, back to our question. I pray that you know the answer to this already. What effect should Christmas have on you? What should Christmas produce in us? It's quite simple. Our response should be the same as the shepherd's response. And our actions ought to emulate the shepherd's actions. Why? Because their story is our story. So our joy should look like their joy. Our passions, our pursuits, our priorities should be like the shepherd's priorities. Because if you know Jesus, if you understand your salvation, you've got to share it. After all, it it was no more of a scandal for God to save someone like me than it was for him to save those shepherds. Somebody like you than it was for him to save those shepherds. It's no more crazy for God to entrust you and me with sharing the truth like he entrusted those shepherds to share the truth. You see, it's easy to look at these shepherds in a derogatory light and separate ourselves from them. But consider the nature of following Christ. Think about what the Bible says we are apart from Christ. We saw it last week, didn't we? Titus 3.3 For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. We used to be just like those shepherds and worse. One of my favorite quotes is from Spurgeon. He said, When a man speaks ill of you, do not be angry with him. For you are far worse than he thinks you to be. It's the truth. It's the truth for me. It's the truth from you. It's the truth for all of us. For apart from Christ, we have no hope. Just like those shepherds prior to the heavenly host had no hope, we have no hope apart from Christ, yet with him. We have everything. And don't separate yourself from the shepherds too just because you haven't seen the heavenly host. Was it amazing that they did? Yes, absolutely. But it was no more amazing than the fact that you have the entire testimony of God's words at your fingertip. You have the Holy Spirit that dwells within you to illuminate the word. To work in your heart, to guide you, to protect you. My friends, if you know Jesus, you are blessed beyond measure. And what Christmas ought to produce in you, the effect of Christmas on you and me and all of us who know Christ, ought to be joy. And it's the joy of Christmas that ought to shine forth from us, just like it did from those shepherds, like it does from those candles. That's why the third candle burning before you, the the pink candle today, it's called the shepherd's candle. And it represents the joy of Christmas. Does joy shine forth from you? Are you characterized by joy? Are you joyful? If you know Jesus, you should be. And I'm going to be real with you. I'll go so far as to say if you know Jesus, you will be joyful. And if you aren't, then you may not know him at all. But it's in that joy that we ought to be ready. 
We ought to be willing to tell others what we've seen. That's all the shepherds did. Don't complicate it. We complicate evangelism so much and we say, well, what if I don't know the right answer to say? Or what if they ask this question or that question? We're not called to know all the answers anywhere in God's word. You know what we're called to do? Testify. You know what a witness does in a court of law? He testifies. All he does is say what he's seen. That's all you have to do too. If you'll reflect on the wonders of God's love. If you'll reflect on the gift of Jesus Christ in this life that we have in him. That's what evangelism is. It's the only evangelism that really works, y'all. Tell others. Let your joy shine forth. And if you don't know Jesus, realize that this joy can be yours. But it'll only be by placing your faith in him. Give your life to Christ and you will be filled with joy that never ceases. And as a result, strength that never breaks. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. But you've got to remember where it starts. It started in the manger. When the Son of God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. It started in the manger. It completed on the cross. And he is seated at God's right hand interceding for you. Take the time. In the midst of the hustle and bustle. In the midst of the disappointment. You may be facing loss. You may be facing weariness. I don't know. I know some. But take the time to dwell on what the Lord has done. Make it your purpose to remember what God has done for you. And in so doing, you will express the joy of Christmas as well. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, it is my prayer now that you would remind us again and again and again of what you've done for us, that we would be ever mindful of your gift, your many gifts, but your gift of Jesus Christ that first Christmas. Let us be those who are characterized by joy. Like those shepherds, oh, Father, may it be with us that we can't hold it in. Instead, work in our hearts. If there are any here that do not know you, Father, please draw them to yourself. Let them receive the free offer of your gospel and believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. If anybody would like to talk to me about coming to know the Lord, please see me afterwards. I would love to have that conversation. Now, we're going to stand, and in just a moment, we're going to sing hymn number 161, which is Joy to the World. But after that, I'm going to proclaim the benediction, right? I'm going to offer the benediction, and then we'll have the choral response. And I ask that you would remain standing for the choral response, and then you'll be dismissed. But let's now stand together for hymn number 161, that great carol, Joy to the World.
receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Please remain standing.